When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Because you've had shown such a great attitude since you've been here as a kid, we've put you forward for loads of teams. I told my dad I didn't want to see anyone else. I wanted to, to sign at Villa. Me included, I don't think we had a proper, fair opportunity in the, under Lambert to actually impress. Because I think he, which I understand now, is they're under pressure and stuff like that, but it was more to make up the numbers. I think probably that's what probably held me back. I think a bit of, bit of fear and not playing to my full potential and, and playing within myself. Tim was all about the youth and when even knowing what he'd done at Tottenham, I think that gave us reserve and youth team players like a lot of hope, thinking, oh, he's coming in, a few of us might get an opportunity. And I remember Jack saying, like, you, you could be in the squad tomorrow. I think you're in the squad. I've seen your number getting done up. And I was like, no, no way, it can't be. Ray Wilkins has gone absolutely mental in Italian. And like, Adama don't have a clue what he's saying. And I've like nudged Adama and I said, Adama, like, you understand? He goes, no, I don't, I don't, I don't speak Italian. I went over to him and introduced myself. I was like, I'm Lewis, and one of the, the reserve team players. And then I trained, and then I was back up there a week, a week later, and he'd come up to me and he was like, what's your name again? Welcome to the latest episode of Claret and Bloom, joined by Lewis Kinsella, former Aston Villa Academy graduate. Uh, first of all, Lewis, how are you, uh, how are you coping with these, these strange times? I'm doing all right. Um, Obviously missing football, but um, getting through it and making sure that the people's welfare is the most important thing. So when we can go back to football, it will, it will all be good. What kind of um, fitness programme they got you on? So currently I'm um, coming back from a, a knee injury. I had a grade two tear in my uh, MCL. So I've been doing some rehab and, and stuff like that. So I've been doing a lot of it myself, to be fair, because at this level it's quite hard to, to be... Um, as professional as it, it can be so um, I'm doing a lot of it by myself I've seen a specialist and he said I'm on I'm on track so I'm just doing a lot of strengthening work and, and um, to be fair I spoke to, to Chris Wilson who used to be the physio at Villa and he's he's uh, taught me through some exercises to, to help me crack on with So what we're going to do we're going to take you way back when um, to when you first first got into football um, when was it that you, you realised that you were you, you were half decent mate and that you, you thought you'd um you know, you could have a decent crack at it. I think when I was about eight years old, I was I was training at, at Watford and Arsenal sneaked into the training ground where we were training and they heard about three of the players there that were close to their training ground. So they come and had a look at us and they, they made contact with our with our parents. Arsenal offered us, a, all three of us, a two-year contract at eight um, and Watford only offered us a one year. So uh, we went to Arsenal and, and that's probably when I first re- really thought that I'd have a good chance. He was playing with when I was at that that sort of era of Arsenal was when they were dominating everything. So I remember going to Highbury and going up to training, and some of the players were leaving because I think they had an appearance, and there was like Henri there. Vieira, it was ridiculous but to to see some of them and then go back to school and tell your friends that you've seen some of them players. It was a really good thing. So tell us about what it was like then, back, back then. So you were at Arsenal from what age, Lewis? From about eight till about 15, 16? 16, 16, yeah. So I worked all the way through. 
it was like it was an incredible experience. We used to they used to take us away like once a year minimum. I think one year when we was eleven or twelve, we went four times. We went once to Spain, Belgium, um, France, and Switzerland. I think it was, but the Spain one we we got through to the final of the MIC International Cup, beating Barcelona in the semi-final and then losing to Madrid in the final, Real Madrid in the final. So we were getting tested against like the best kids in Europe for all the way through my career there. It was weird because there's a lot of coaches that were coming through that used to be players. Like we had Chris Kawamia, who coached us for a season. Uh, George Parrish, or pa- George Parrish, I think he used to play for West Ham. He coached us for a season. Um, and yeah, no, it was, it was good because obviously... That was probably one of the best academies in, in, in Europe at the time. So have you always been a defender? Have you always been a fullback? Yeah, I think I was about eight, seven, eight, and I played left midfield. And when I went to Arsenal, up and, and then 10 or 11, I got converted to, to a left back. And then I played there all the way through until 16. And they tried playing me centre-half, but I never quite grew enough to be a, be a centre-half. Um, and then when I got let go at 16, to, when I come to Villa... I went straight to a left back as well. So, what was that like then? That kind of transition, first of all, when when Arsenal said that they were letting you go, out, what was that conversation like? The years before that, we did like a contract meetings where you'd you'd get a phone call first to let you know the decision. You could come in and stuff like that. And then when we were sixteen, probably the most important year where you find out whether you're getting a scholarship or like an imp- apprenticeship. We were all sitting in. They put us all in a room together. So it was like, I think I was fifth or sixth. And there was players that going in who were thinking they're getting contracts, like they're all happy and stuff before, and gone in and come out crying and didn't even like have conversations with us, say goodbye and stuff like that because they're so gutted. And then when I went in, it was kind of um, you can have a scholarship if you'd like it, but there's two or three players that are in your position that you're probably not going to play um, because you've had shown such a great attitude since you've been here as a kid. Um, we've put you forward for loads of teams, and I think we I had Man United. Celtic, Brentford, QPR, Leicester, um, Villa, and the other one was Southend. I played against Villa for Arsenal in the 16s, and I remember a few of the, the boys' parents saying, oh, you're in for a tough game today, um, because their kid was um, at England with Jordan, Graham, and they were saying how good he was and how, how much potential he had and stuff like that. And I think probably at that age, I was probably one of the only players that, that probably had got the better of him that season. And then I think it was Sean, Sean Kimberley was there and he spoke to Arsenal about me straight away. And then when I heard about it, I went and trialled for Villa against Leicester. Um, in a, I think it was a 18, 16s game. And Leicester, after that game, I, haven't, I hadn't been there once, but they, that from that game, they offered me a two-year contract and a, a two-year squad and a one-year pro. Um, but I just I liked it at Villa once I went in there and done like day release for a week and I just like really really enjoyed it got on well with the boys and I told my dad I didn't want to see anyone else I wanted to to sign at Villa so I presume I presume Lewis when you when you're at Arsenal up to the age of 16 I presume you're still living living at home with your parents was the move to Villa the first time you kind of left home yeah yeah it was the first time that I, I sort of stayed away obviously we stayed away on on uh trips when I went away with Arsenal but it was only full a week or two weeks at a time. But um, I moved into Tony Daly's house with his wife, Michelle, at the time. And I moved in. So they already had all their digs sorted because it was at the end of the year. So they already had, like, I think it was Malks and Callum. But yeah, I moved in with Jordan. I got left with Jordan, but I didn't really like Jordan at the time because when we played against each other, I was kicking the life out of him. 
and he was he was trying to take me on and we was having verbals and then when I went there I found out that I had to move in with him. So it was like ah oh, blah, blah. but we got on we got on really well to be fair. So you say it was Tony Daly was Tony Daly living there? Yeah, yeah. I lived in his house for I think eighteen months. He was a digs he was a digs host. But I remember going into our room the first time I went into our room and he's got a signed England shirt there with like all gas like all the names on there and all his all his champagne bottles downstairs unopened because he he doesn't drink and I was probably young and probably a bit bit chubby and I was sneaking to the corner shop with Jordan to get chocolates to try and try and not not let Tony know that we were eating them. Well, that's brilliant. I can't believe he but he left he's left his champagne untouched as well with you lot lingering around. I know, yeah, but I think we was probably at that age. If if we was probably a year or two later, we probably probably got a hold of it. Tony was like left the house at half five in the morning, and then he'd be back at six seven because he was working at Wolves. He's a fitness coach. He's always the first one there and the last one back. So it showed his attitude and what it takes to be a, to be a top top footballer. He was a brilliant role model for us, and um, I still I still speak and speak to him every now and again now because I was with George Elakobi at Colchester, and George was with him at Wolves, um, and like kind of the mutual mutual friends. And I spoke to him recently about it and stuff like that. So. You, you arrive at Villa as a, as a 16-year-old kid. What, where, where's your education at by then, Louis? Are you doing your GCSEs or how does that work? It was a bit weird. So I'd done my, I was doing my GCSEs at school and that I got released in, I think, November time from Arsenal. So then I was going, like, my school's letting me go up and do a week at Villa. And then I think I ended up doing, like, three or four weeks in a row where I was doing it and I just went back and sat my exams kind of thing. And um, luckily I, I got five GCSEs and... Um, I, I've done all right out of it. Villa were good because they they literally let put me up and you do your education in in the afternoon once you've once you've trained in the morning. Talk us through, you know, kind of the un, uninitiated who've, who've never come, you know, we've only kind of been to, to Bodymore very briefly. What what does the day in the life of an academy kid look like at Villa? You get, I think we had to be in at half eight nine o'clock, and once we we once we were in, we had to you go clean the first team boots. I, I listened to Gabby the other day. But yeah, you have to you have to go clean the boots. I had Gabby and Charles and Zobia, and you'd be in the changing room just getting ready and putting all the, the first team equipment out, making sure it's ready, filling the bottles up. And then you'd go into the, the barn and I think we'd have gym in the morning um, and like proprioception, which is just injury re- like injury prevention and stuff like that. Then you go out and train, come back. You, you wouldn't leave till four o'clock because literally you'd be just... You do, and then you do your education in the afternoon, sorry, if you weren't doing gym. Um, and then you go back into the change room and just literally have a laugh for, for hours and get on the minibus back to Sutton. And then you'd make your way back from Sutton to your digs. Ours was in Blake Street, so it was only a couple of stops on the on the train back. What was it like kind of when, you, when you're one of the kids and you're just kind of mixing only ever so occasionally with the first team? How do they treat you? Do they kind of treat you as slaves or do they kind of treat you as equals or what? It's some, some, it depends. All players are different. I think. I think a lot of the. I was Charles was Charles was always good with me, and 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 Gabby was good with me. But um, I think some players give you the time of day, and some players don't. We had separate canteens when we were in the youth team, so we had different sides to the first team. Or if we did eat on that side, it would be at different times. We'd st- we'd be staying well away from. That was in the first year when McLeish was there, and for a bit of the time when Lambert was there. But um, yeah, you, you like you look up to them, and some of them like I think. At the time, I think I trained up there once when I was seventeen. Like Gordon introduced me to the boys, and I think like 
some of the younger boys that were in there were, were the ones, the links that got you like through it kind of thing. Like Mark Albrighton was led with me. He like helped me, helped me um, get to know the boys and stuff when I was there. Who'd have been in charge the first time you trained them? Would that, would that be McLeish? Yeah, it was McLeish, yeah. I did. I think I did two sessions with McLeish when he was a manager. And that was when I was a first year scholar. And then the second year was Lambert up until Sherwood, I think it was. And then Remy Gard. Are you nervous the first time that you join the main group or, or how does it feel? I think I think so. I think that's probably one of the regrets I had. I kind of gave them a bit too much respect and like, oh my God, it's like Gabby and Bungalore or oh my God, it's Emil Heskey or Stephen Island and stuff like that. But as you get older and realise like now that I'm probably one of the seniors in my team, you look at the youngsters and try and help them through. But I was probably a bit bit petrified of going up there and not making a mistake because you wanted to impress them so much just can start touching on the on on the next gen what was the what was the secret that 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 year because it's you know it's it's a it's a fairly impressive trophy isn't it it's effectively the kind of youth team champions league isn't it or youth team european cup so what kind of helped develop that momentum and that success that year I i think we had a really good good first year to be fair i remember we had we got to the quarterfinals and we lost to Marseille and that was a that was down to a, a poor decision, I think, by the referee. So I think that had to give us a bit of confidence as well going into the second year, knowing that we, we had a good go in the first year. I missed the whole group stage, to be fair, with injuries. And I come back for the for the last 16 game, I think it was against Olympiacos at home or, or it, was either, it was either Olympiacos at home or um, Ajax away. And we got, we got a late goal against Ajax, I think, or, or a goal that just put us through. And then when we went to the to the semi-finals, when we moved over to Como, we already knew we could beat Sport in Lisbon because we beat them um, away from home in the in the group stages. So we had a way of playing, and we just stuck at it, and we stuck at it the whole way through the the competition. It, at the time, it was it was very good. I think a lot of the boys have not probably gone on to field a like like I don't know. There's a lot of players in there that could have done a lot more with their careers, maybe, and maybe been unlucky, but. Um, they they was saying to us. I was just speaking to to Callum then and Josh uh, Webb. They were um, saying that we were like the the team, their favourite team to to make it kind of thing. And um, when we were in there, like the golden team kind of thing. So um, yeah, it's obviously disappointing. Not not all of us has f- fulfilled our potential, but um, the boys that have have done really really well. Is this too obvious a question, uh, Lewis? Who who was the best player? Yeah, Jack by a mile. He's had this like ability since he was a kid that you can't compare him to anyone. I don't think. And we obviously had Mickey Drennan, who who was who scored a lot of goals. Berkey scored a lot of goals as well. We had Callum and Jordan. Uh, sorry, Callum, but J- Jack just sort of just stood out. He just has this difference. You can just when he's on it, you can just tell he's on it, and he just stands out a mile. I think we spoke about um, Jack and, and, and Ollie Stevenson and saying how Ollie was always the swap, but Jack was always the one who just had that natural gift. When we were 16, Jordan Graham was probably the, the, the main one. Jack was obviously always always around it, but Jordan was probably the, the main one who you'd think was probably going to go on and do things because he was my age, Jack's a year below me. Cal was up in that, frio, that like trio as well with him, Jack and Jordan. But you probably would have said it was Jordan, Jack and then Cal right at the start. Um, but then it's it's mad how things change, and, and Jack's obviously gone on to to do what he's doing now. It's it's incredible, and even Cal now to to um, get into the Premier League for, with Sheffield United, and he's worked so hard, and um, they both thoroughly deserve it. 
But yeah, Jack's natural ability. You, like I was, I was literally speaking to him the other day about it, saying like, imagine when we were sixteen, like walking around the ball ring, saying like, imagine like doing what you're doing now. And he was he was like he was like, no, I knew I would be anyway. <laughs> so I was just like laughing. And I said, to be fair, there was this time at Hinkley where uh, Benjamin Seagrass he come out and caught a corner. And he hit this side volley and it was like coming down with snow and it was so high. And Jack's like sl- like running, he slid and he's managed to keep the ball up while he's on the floor and dribble off of it. And my dad was at that game and he was like, this kid is like going to be something special. Like he's ridiculous. And then there was another time we were playing against Watford and I've like tried to curl one down the line and probably shanked it a bit. And it's another one that's coming down with like snow and it's so high. And Tony McAndrews like left his seat to come and sort of like catch the ball to give it for them to take a throw. And like Jack's run and like kept it up while he's running and dribbled off with it. And Tony's just like sat back down with his hands and he did. So what was it you, you've, you've said that when you spoke to him, he said, oh, I was never in doubt. I was always going to be a superstar. Was he, did he have that kind of swagger about him when he was a kid? Yeah. He, he, like, I remember watching his first session that he, he trained with the first team with, um, I think it was with McLeish and he playing 11 v 11. And he was playing against Alan Hutton and he was like incredible. He's, he just has no fear. I think like even when that age, I think if someone kicked him, he'd say something like he wouldn't go into a shell. Like he, he kind of thrived on it. He, he, he'd enjoy that sort of that feeling of being able to, to take players on no matter who they were and not, not fearing his, his idols. I don't think it is arrogance. I think it's supreme confidence with him I, I never I never get the fact that the, I never get the sense that there's a real edge about him I get the fact that he just kind of believes in himself yeah he does I don't think he's arrogant at all I think he believes in his ability and I think um, with his image and stuff like that with his shin pads and the way he does his hair and stuff like that I think it all helps him because I think it, it, no one can no one can tackle him and everyone wants to kick him and everyone's thinking like look at your hair and stuff like that and they get caught in the moment of trying to kick the life out of him and, and that's what he loves there's nothing he loves getting kicked because he knows he's he's getting the better of someone. Back on the on the next gen generally again then. So you know when you go on the the aways on the European aways with Villa as a as a as a young player, are you allowed out of the hotel? Do you get any free time to actually go and have a look round? Yeah, well, we I think in um, Como we, they took us on like little walks and stuff like that. And when we went to to Rosenberg, we we walked around Oslo for a bit um, and see certain things. But it would be like say we would. I think we'd fly, like, say if our game was on a Tuesday, we'd fly Monday morning, um, get there, then do, like, a recovery session and then prepare Tuesday, play Tuesday night, come home uh, Wednesday morning. But you wouldn't see much. But I think we did, we got to see Ajax's training ground, which was really good because we played there. Um, Fernabachi away was, a, was an eye-opener because the stadium was in the middle of nowhere. Sport in Lisbon was good because we obviously see where, like, people like uh, Cristiano Ronaldo come through and, how they lived, they lived in like they lived on site and had all the food and stuff like that, and they were very welcoming. But you don't see much, but um, it's good when you get to go see like where where the other other clubs are training and stuff like that. What were the rules like back then in terms of curfews or in terms of not having your mobile phone and that kind of thing? Was there was there anything that particularly wound up Kevin Tony? I think giggling probably, like not taking things serious. I think we laughed a lot and. I think that's probably what got us in trouble was probably laughing at the wrong times. But phones and stuff like that, there wasn't big, big like influence on phones, just not in meetings and, and no hats and stuff like that around the dinner table. And, um, but yeah, no, you could, you'd always have to watch, like be on your, 
be on your guard with with Kevin Tony because they they would uh, try and find if they could. We got caught out going out clubbing once, and um, we were in the barn. Kev Mack found out, and we were literally in the barn doing doggies up and down the barn for probably an hour, and it got to a stage where we had to get it in a, in a certain time, or we'd keep doing it. And I remember Mason Watkins Clark was, was absolutely struggling; he couldn't get in in the time. We just kept running and running and running. Punishments were more probably less money, but more hard work. Who was your best mate amongst that group then? I, I don't know. We had quite a tight knit group. To be fair, we all went on holiday together. I'd probably say to start off, it was probably Jordan, uh, Graham, because we lived together. And then as as we got older, it kind of went to Callum and Jack. And um, they're probably the two speak, people that I speak to most now. Um, we went on holiday with them um, last summer to Dubai and spent a couple of days with them there. And um, I try and come up and watch Jack as much as I can when I'm not playing. And I went to watch Cow against Tottenham. So I'd probably say Jack and Cow now. If ever I'm doing something that I don't like doing, like I was on the bike the other day and I thought, I can't bother to do this. I rung Cal and he just sort of cheered me up and put, pushed me through the session, to be fair. He's just, he's always bubbly and um, the same with Jack as well. So sorry for jumping out about all over the place, but tell us about the um, the final. Then it was Chelsea beating the final, wasn't it? Yeah, um, they, they had their team. They flew um, Nathan Aki over just for the final. Um, we found out about that and Tony made sure that we, we we put pressure on him because I think he flew out in the morning or the, the night before the game um, just to play in the final because, um, I don't know, like reinforcements and stuff like that. But I don't think that probably really helped them because there's probably a bit of big a lot of pressure on him then. And I think our game plan was literally just to, to get it out wide to, to Jack and Joshua and then get the best players on the, on the ball. Um, and we'd know that we'd have chances, but we'd just have to stop their main threats. Was, did Lambert come over for it? Is that right? Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Sorry, I, I just remember. Yeah, he was coming to change room before the game. He flew out and spoke to us before the game. And he spoke to us at half-time as well. So that was a good thing for him to do. I think that gave us a confidence boost. So let's let's just go on and move you forward a little bit then. So you've had a, a taste of the first team with a couple of training sessions under McLeish. Did you get involved under Lambert at all? Yeah, so Lambert was weird. Lambert was... Some boys would train up there, be like a kind of random sort of thing. If you needed a left back, some would go up, some wouldn't. But then every Friday or every day before a game, we would get sent up like five or six of us to make up the numbers in the 11 v 11 and take part in the set pieces for them to defend. So um, that was really it, really. There wasn't really many of us that, that got an opportunity to actually be looked at. It was more just to be like Joey's to, to make up the numbers, I think. Like obviously Tony McAndrew and, and Brian Jones and stuff like that, they'd have the players, they'd know who was ready to go up and like Jacks and Callum and Jordan, they'd be pushed a bit more than, than certain others. But if, say for instance, Malcolm Melvin or someone like that would get pushed up if they, they wanted to make up the numbers kind of thing for the, for the set pieces. I don't think a few of us had a, me included, I don't think we had a proper fair opportunity in the, under Lambert to actually impress because I think he which I understand now is like they, they're under pressure and stuff like that but it was more to make up the numbers so what what does it feel like when you when you're that age when you've kind of proved that you can you're one of the kind of you know the best best youth teams in Europe and you're kind of itching to get in the first team do you start to get a little bit impatient or yeah I think so but I think you probably think you're better than what you are at the time kind of thing. I don't think, like looking back now, I don't think I would have been ever really ready at that time to, to even 
to play in the first team. Obviously, some people did. Jack went on loan to, to Notts County and he done really well. Cal went on loan to Preston and done really well. Um, but looking back now, I don't think... I don't, you never know because I wasn't pushing to the... I wasn't given an opportunity to even go on loan at that time. But I don't think I was probably ready now, thinking about it now. But I think it's hard, really, because you at the time, you probably do think you're, you're doing better than what you are. So... Um, and then you probably do need to be brought down a few pegs. So Lambert goes and Sherwood comes in and, and Sherwood seems to take take an immediate liking to you, doesn't he, Louis? Yeah, so it was, it, was, it was kind of, I was really lucky, basically. I was injured with an ankle injury and I wasn't quite ready to play for the, for the reserve team yet because I was only allowed to train. So they had a game on the Monday, I think it was, and Tim Sherwood's first session was on the Monday. So I could either train for the, I was going to be meant to be training with the youth team, but because all the boys had a game in the evening, the first team needed some players for the for their session. So I went up there as one of them because I wasn't able to, to play in a game. And I'd done really well. Um, I was smashing um, Charles and Zogger all over the place, kept kicking him. And um, Tim just took a liking to me. And for, I think, about six weeks, I was with him every day, training up there and um, until I went on loan to Luton. But I was with him every day. And Seamus really liked me um, Mark Robson really liked me and um, Tony Parks really liked me as well so I have lots of like regrets about what how I was up there I still think I could have handled it a bit better um, I think even at that age I was probably still intimidated and I think that's what kind of held me back as I was playing within myself and stuff like even with training and I remember Delph and, and Gabby saying to me like there's a game where he's 5v5 in, um, and then five players on the outside um, and I just kept passing to the outside because it's the easiest option. Because um, I didn't want to give, I was scared to give the ball away. And I remember Delph saying, like having a go at me, saying, just keep the ball in the middle of the pitch, stop going outside. And I think probably that's what probably held me back. I think a bit of bit of fear and um, not playing to my full potential and um, playing within myself. It's it's interesting you say that because it's come at a time where you, well, from the outside looking in. Villa seem to have, in my opinion, they've got a manager who actually kind of, rather than previous managers, had downplayed the club. They've got a manager who was prepared to kind of build up expectations and really kind of bring a swagger to the club. Did that Did that help you a little bit, having a character like Tim Shield along? Did that help you with any of the self-doubt? Yeah, I think so. He's, he, was, he was good. We've gone from like a Lambert who was kind of like pushed you away and stuff like that to, to Tim Sherwood coming and sitting on your, your lunch table and having a conversation with you and getting to know you properly and um, we, he wanted the, the the reserve team to train next to the first team so we could watch and if we ever needed if he ever needed players you'd be straight in there Tim was all about the youth and when even knowing what he'd done at Tottenham I think that gave us reserve and youth team players like a lot of hope thinking oh he's coming in a few of us might get an opportunity and um, I got really lucky I took my opportunity by training well um, but then there was tons and tons of injuries in the in the left back position or the, the the defensive position and I remember Jack saying like you could, you could be in the squad tomorrow I think you're in the squad I've seen your number getting done up and I was like no no way it can't be and then someone fell ill again and then I, I found out from from Kev Mack that I'll be traveling so when when was the first time you traveled as a did, did you travel prior to being in a match day squad anyway my first time was Newcastle away and that was like a like a real hype and I remember getting on the the coach going to the to the airport to get on like a private private jet to Newcastle and I thought like me and Jack sat with Jack saying, Jesus, like what is this? And then getting on the thing, 
landing and then getting to the the hotel, being like, oh, who am I sharing with? And they were like, oh, no, you've got your own room. And I was like, saying to Jack, like, does everyone have their own room? He's like, yeah. And then having like this massive room at the Malmaison and um, then we went on a walk and I remember being behind Shay Given and we were, obviously we were in Newcastle. He's a Newcastle legend and there were so many fans smothering him and that was like probably the first time I realised how big like Villa was as a club and how lucky I was at the time. The week after I was on the bench, I think it was West Brom. It was like, I think it was either in the league or the, the FA Cup court final. I can't, I'm not sure which one it was. I remember sitting on the bench like, so when you were the first thing, there was like all banana bread and everything on the in the change room. And there was these Lucas A jelly babies. And I just had like, because I knew I was, like, I was thinking I'm never coming on. So I had like six or seven bags. I'd put them in my pocket. I'd be sitting next to Jack and Vyman and just be going through these these jelly babies. And and then Matty Loughton went down with cramp at about 55, 60 minutes. And I've gone from eating these jelly babies, like laughing, thinking I'll oh, win in one nil, like buzzing and stuff like that having a laugh and to, to thinking like I, I could be coming on it. Tim's turned around and said to me like, go warm up. And I've like literally crumbled. I think I got cramped warming up running towards, towards the, the Trinity end. Must be surreal that, that first time. I, mean, I know since the age of eight, everything's been preparing you for it, but it, it still, it, it still must be really batter the nerves. I was all right. The, the week before at Newcastle, when I thought oh, I might be on the bench, I'll be all right. But that, that game, like when he said like you could, could potentially be coming on. And you're like running up and down, like you've gone from warming up, like clapping the fans and just watching the game to like you could be coming on. That's when it really, really hit me to be fair. And I was like, cool, I don't know, don't know whether I'm ready for this. <laughs> Not yet. And then we won and obviously it was a like a great moment to win at Villa Park when it was full and stuff like that. But then the week after, I think it was Sunderland away and we were freeing up at half time. And I was itching to get on, thinking, oh, there's no pressure now. I'd be like, please get me on, please get me on. But he, he put on Rashan. And unfortunately, I'd never actually got to play in the, the Premier League or make a first team appearance. But um, it was a, a great experience that I'll like, remember for the rest of my life. Do you think that was a, a big kind of pivotal moment, Lewis, that you didn't, didn't get on then? Because I think, I think Sherwood was obviously gone, wasn't he, within a couple of months? the following season do you think that was kind of your window to impress or albeit a very short window yeah I think also, also I was very lucky that it was a lot of injuries and that I could be with the first team and then I remember like that Tim saying like I've had a few clubs want to take you on loan and stuff for like that and the the semi-final and boys were coming back um, from injuries and stuff for like that and I kind of thought that would be like the best option because I don't think I'm going to continue with the being on the bench and stuff for like that I think I'll start missing out again um, so I went on loan and um, obviously it didn't really work out at Luton but um, it made me realise um, going into another men's dressing room about what, what it's like to be a professional footballer and when I come back it was, everything's all changed and stuff like that and um, Tim had a transfer window where he could sign some players and he brought in um, Jordan and Marvey and um, I think he brought in another left, left-sided defender so um, it was about trying to get on loan again and I didn't get to go on loan until I think February time where I could go to Kidderminster, but um, I was ready to, to play first team football at that age. I know it was a bit of a kind of a short and not particularly sweet um, stay for Remy Guard, but was there any ever any chance of you getting a look in under guard? No, I trained I trained once with the first team and uh, sorry, I trained twice. He, the first time he asked me, he's like, oh, like I went over to him and introduced myself and I was like, I'm Lewis and one of the, the reserve team players. And, but, 
um, as a left back and then I trained and then I was back up there a week la- a week later and he'd come up to me and he was like, what's your name again? So I, I, from that moment on, I kind of knew that he, that he wasn't really interested in me and if he didn't know my, my, my name, he couldn't remember my name, then I obviously didn't make that much of an impression. Did you know kind of pretty much by then though, by the time Sherwood had gone and, and Remy Gard had come in, that, that you'd be looking for, for football somewhere else? Yeah, I think I, I was ready to, to kind of play first in football. Um, maybe now I wish I like, tried to stay a bit longer because I see players now that are, that are still at, at Premier League clubs or Championship clubs that just go on loan and get the thing. But I thought, oh, I'll get out and play football and it'll be all like easy and I'll be back in the Championship or... It's easy as that, but it's, it's not as easy as that. And um, I went to Colchester, picked up an injury. Um, the change formation, you kind of fall out, fell out with the manager. And like now I'm in the National League and not, not where I thought I would be, but um, back enjoying my football. In terms of, I mean, it's a bit of an open-ended question, this, but I've asked this to a few of the guys who we've got on the podcast in recent weeks. What's the kind of funniest moment or the, the stupidest prank that you witnessed at Villa or that you, you might have been responsible for at Villa? Um, I remember when Lambert came in and we had a, a kid called Khalid Abdo. Um, he was Swedish. He didn't speak much English. If you're in a youth team, you'd have to take your kit down to the laundry room. And if you were in a reserve team, you put it in the, the bucket and take it to the um, the laundry room. And if you're in the first team, they come and get it. But Paul Lambert used to be in the, the laundry room because there was a dartboard in there and he used to play with um, Chef and, and Jonah. And I remember Khalid walking down there with his kit um, and passing the kit to Paul Lambert and then like turning around and walking out. And I think Khalid thought that Paul Lambert was one of the, one of the kit men. He didn't, he didn't know that he was a manager of the football club. It was one of his first weeks. So he just literally dropped his kit to Paul Lambert's hands and he just walked off and said, cheers. And Paul Lambert's got hold of Khalid Abdo's kit. And he, even Paul Lambert was so confused. He came in and had a massive meeting with us and let us basically let Khalid know that he's the manager of this football club. Another one was probably, we used to play this game with, we made like a tape ball out of like tape, like a cricket ball. Um, and then like with flip flops, we'd like, like make a, like play cricket in the changing room. And I remember if you like, if you, if you got out or something like that, you'd have to turn around, pull your shorts down and we'd all throw a tape ball at your bum. And, um, Mason Watkins Clark, he lost and he was like bent over in the changing room waiting for us to throw a ball. But Kev Max walked through the, through the side of the, the door at the back. And like we've seen him, but Mason hasn't seen him yet. And Mason's standing there with his ass down. And Kev's literally just standing on the edge of the um, edge of the change and just watching us. And Ma- like Mason's turned around like to us and going, "What are you doing? Like why haven't you thrown it?" And we're like trying to let him know that Kev's there. And like he's turned around and see Kev, and he's like proper like crumbled. He's sucked, like crawled into his seat. But that was that was another funny one. I remember there was another one when um, I think Ollie Ollie Needham said something to Jack. Um, I can't remember. He said something. It was a bit bit out of order. I can't really remember what it was, but Jack was fuming. I think one of the first team players heard. Jack just just left it and was like, didn't say anything. But one of the first team said it was like that's like that's bang out of order. And uh, one of um, first teams like got round to Gabby and 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 Delph, and they they found out and they threw Ollie in the pool. Um, and the, he weren't happy about that. But um, it's kind of like looking after Jack, which is which is good. So, what was the um, what's the biggest bottling that you or any of the other lads would have had? I had one at Rosenberg, but from Kev Mack, and um, I don't think I think I, I, after we were I think we were two 0 up against Rosenberg at home, and me and Callum were sitting next to each other in the change room, and uh, we couldn't even like we couldn't even keep the ball. To be fair, 
and Kev's come like run like literally he's booted the skip over all the kits falling out like we're 16 we're like thinking what is going on here and then like he's coming around the changing room and he's got to me and Cal and like, I'm literally like nudging Cal like thinking oh god and he's gone absolutely mental at us saying about keeping the ball and then like literally gone back on the pitch in the second half and all I did was play five yard passes because I was thinking I do not want to give the ball away there. Another funny one to be fair was when we had a uh, when Adama come in. Adama was playing for us in a in a reserve team game and uh Ray Wilkins come in the change room at half time because Adama was like he was literally just couldn't bother to play for us and I think he thought he was with the first team and he just sort of sacked us off and uh Ray Wilkins has come in to say like Boys, I'm going to speak to to speak to Adama in in Italian because he speaks Italian, and Adama don't speak Italian. All he speaks is Spanish <laughs> and French, not even English. So Ray Wilkins has gone absolutely mental him in Italian, and like Adama don't have a clue what he's saying. And it, like Ray Wilkins has gone out, and I've like nudged Adama, and I said, Adama, like you understand? He goes, No, I don't. I don't. I don't speak Italian. So that was another one that was that was really funny. So what do you think what do you, what do you think the the kind of legacy is then of the of that next gen? Do you think it's sometimes probably people like myself in the press and fans do you think sometimes we invest too much hype and expectation in young kids? No, I think like like our team we done we done well to to win it and it's a massive achievement and I think it, like we will be known like as the team that won the next gen. It's it's frustrating now that we like the most frustrating thing is because we won it. It then changed to like a UEFA Youth League, and only like the top teams. It's 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 quite sad that we couldn't continue playing it the year after and stuff like that. I think I don't think that's really fair. But um, I think like for instance, like Jack and Callum, they've they've like you've put a lot of effort into them and and they've fulfilled their potential and they've shown like what youth youth players can do. So I think there is a lot of good players that come through Villa and they're definitely one of the academies that produce some of the, the best young talents about in England English football. So if you look at the amount of players that have come through like Barry Bannon and um, Kieran Clark and like D- Daniel Johnson, they, there's like a conveyor belt of players that they've produced over the last 15 to 20 years, probably even longer. But um, I think they don't just produce footballers, they, they, they produce a lot of good people as well. And um, a lot of people in our, our, te- our youth team reserve team have, have been brought up on hard work and um, hard week, hard work beats talent. And um, if you look at all the players that have come through, that a lot of them are hard working, and um, they'd, they'd probably all go back to Kev Mac and Tony's in an instant because they they know how how they've instilled a work ethic into them. So talking of hard work, that that brings us on to kind of what it's been like since since leaving Villa. Then, so you touched upon Colchester. Was that just a bad fit for you at the time? I I played the first fourteen games I think and then broke my ankle and then they changed to a, a three five two and the left winger who was playing in front of me he went to left wing back and he scored like seventeen goals or sixteen goals in in the remainder of the season he was on, on fire he unfortunately done his ACL at the end of the end of the season he was getting a move to to Ipswich actually um, so then I thought oh, I'll have a good pre season like Brennan's out now um, getting the team but. I never really quite got back in the team and I was like all the boys used to say like you should be playing and stuff like that. I kind of, I don't know, I, I fell out with with uh, one of the players in a training session and um, basically got got asked to go on loan after having a having a fight in training um, over a tackle. But it was a bit where, we've, where I've kind of gone from heart, like with at Villa and there was fights in training all the time and 
like overwinning and stuff like that. Um, we had a fight in training at Colchester and they, they basically got tasked if I could leave. And it's kind of two completely different um, environments. And um, I was ready to, to be fair, I was ready to quit and, and go go get another job and just play football part time because. I thought oh, I've got to work all my way, like work my way all the way back up from the national league, and um, I went and played at Aldershot under under Gary Waddock, and he and he's one of the best managers I've worked under, and he he honestly brought the best back out of me and my love for football again. You think the culture situation was just the club being a bit heavy-handed then? I think I wasn't playing. I, I wasn't playing, and it was probably an easy way to to, to get me out, and it, it was the best thing for. That actually happened to me. I went on to play like I've nearly played a hundred games now for Aldershot, and that's what I wanted to do my whole life is play football. And well, what, I was travelling to Yeovil and stuff like that, and not even making the making the bench. I was getting told I was going to be like in the squad and stuff like that, and then I wouldn't be. And I just didn't really like the like the the, the not being honest. I think where I've gone from a club where Kevin Tony and and Tim Sherwood to be like being like brutally honest, and I think that's the best way to be to a club where they're kind of sneaking around you and not telling you the truth that's what probably I found the hardest I'd rather be told if I wasn't good enough just say I'm not good enough or I need to go work on this or so for that it would be like get there and I'd just be dropped and I'd just be like what like why have I been dropped and they'd be like don't don't come and ask me why you've been dropped so it was just it wasn't the environment I wanted to be in and I went to to Aldershot and I've like loved my time there but um hopefully I'd do well again um see what happens in the in the summer but uh, I had another good season. So, tell us a little bit about um, Aldershot then, and 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 why you you felt at home. I think I went there, and um, Gary would have given me the license to just to just enjoy my football, and they wanted to try and try and get out of the league the right way by actually playing football. And we very rarely punted the ball up the pitch, and it's just a, a like a really good, hard working, easy to get on with back like place to be at, and all the boys were good lads, and I was the only left back there, and he just said like. You go and enjoy your football, and um, we'll look after you, and hopefully we'll get you back into the football league. So originally it was like I was there for six months just to try and get back into the league. Over the summer I stayed. I stayed another year, um, and unfortunately we got relegated. But I had another okay season, um, but I got injured at the wrong time, right at the end of the season. Um, but somehow we managed to, to stay up because Gateshead went into administration, and that leads into this season. But like the fans are really good there and the pitch, Chelsea's um, pay for the pitch to be done because they're reserve team trainer. So the surface is always really, really nice. And the manager now, to be fair, wants to play football. So I think a lot of it is is how how you play football in this league because there's a lot of teams that try and try and boom it. But um, we actually try and play a, a bit of football. How does it work? Are you kind of classed as a full-time? Have you got another job that runs alongside it? No, we're full-time. Um, I tried to try to do some recruitment work on the side, um, just to, to to kind of the progress into to next uh, my next job after this. But um, I'm desperate to try and get back into the football league and try and play where I believe I should be playing. Um, but it's, it is hard, and especially now with what's happened with this, the coronavirus and um, trying to to work my way back up. But um, I know I will get there if I just keep doing what I'm doing. What's the um, what's the recruitment thing on the side then? So, so basically, Tim Sherwood's daughter is a family friend now of of my missus. Name dropper. Um, I know, crazy world. And her boyfriend is in IT recruitment, and he we went out for dinner with him, and he said like, if you ever need a job or stuff like that or part time work, then then let me know, and we'll get you on board. And 
I was injured and I, I messaged him and asked him if like I could do some work for him and it's it's not really like it's no money involved it's just training and, and basically um, trying to help his business you know you, you seem to be in pretty good spirits though mate I know the world's a weird and worrying place at the moment but you, you're always good value and you, you, are you quite quite a kind of glass half full kind of bloke anyway yeah I think so well I've, I've kind of grown up a lot since I was, I was a lot younger at Villa and I like, a lot, I like to read now and have like different aspects of, like views on life and, and stuff like that and um, I think I went for a real bad stage when I was at Colchester and um, I come out on the other side of it basically very well so hopefully um, football does start to continue again because I think that that really does help a lot of of people mentally um footballers and fans and people that are in the environment that's brilliant mate just wanted to say kind of thank you so much for, for giving up your, your time to join us although we, we've we've kind of tried to prey on people a little bit during this lockdown thinking that the you know they've got nothing better to do than speak to us we'll we'll take our chances but i really appreciate your kind of giving no, up an hour of your time to, to to talk us through everything thank you for listening to claret and blue an aston villa podcast if you enjoyed today's episode then please let us know we love hearing your feedback We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, up the villa.